Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. You're listening to Around the Dial, your one-stop shop for sports talk's best moments every day. Here's your host, CBS Sports Radio's Damon Amendolara. Welcome inside Around the Dial, the best in your sports talk for Thursday, February the 14th, Valentine's Day. I am your host, D.A. Speaking of love stories, Bryce Harper and the Washington Nationals once were very happy together. Then they broke up, and it seemed like Bryce was going to have a new companion come Valentine's Day this year. But that has not happened. He's still on the open market. And now we're wondering if there is an old flame rekindled. Is it possible the Washington Nationals, after offering Bryce Harper a 10-year, $300 million deal at the end of the season, are back in on Bryce? Are they sending a private jet? to discuss a potential return to D.C. Here are the sports junkies on 106.7 in D.C. You guys were talking about tracking Bryce Harper, which is pretty interesting. I didn't follow this story. What's the deal? Well, uh, Drabby can explain it better, but you know how we were uh, tracking the Redskins when they were uh, wooing Mike Shanahan. Wise was all over that. We used to track our Redskins one. Right, right, right. And people do that now all the time. We had some sort of, we had some sort of insider that was like a pilot or something, giving us some Intel. True. Well, apparently now they're tracking, I don't know if it's a Nats private plane or whatever, but somehow they've pieced together that a plane, I think from DC flew out to Vegas and then left Vegas, flew to West Palm. I mean, it all, all the right. everything just adds connecting up. the dots, and then and then back to DC. Okay, and I and I guess the theory is is that the plane was full of Nats execs. So the contingent of the, the theory is the contingent of Nats execs flew from here to Vegas, yeah. talked to Bryce, little sit down, and then with went, his people, and then went to, straight to Palm Beach, went to West Palm, right? Hmm. Okay. Now the problem is, this was yesterday. Yesterday. Mm-hmm. So it, it Why left... don't you give out the account to put it out there? Was it like Talking Nats or something like that? That's uh, a Twitter talk, account. Talk Nats too. Yeah. Yeah. So it left yesterday evening from. It also went back to D.C. too. Yeah. So there's some sort of connection between D.C., West Palm Beach, and then Vegas. Right. All on the same day. Right. So it's getting everybody now, is sized. It, now is it a Nats private plane or it's just a plane that and they're connecting those dots? That was it's from a, D.C., it, Vegas, I, I, it's, West Palm. It's a private plane. It's own? not like Nats 1 or yeah, anything like that. Do they have like, like a Ted Lerner plane? It was, it was a Delta. I'm checking the, the registration right now. Yeah. Yeah. But I like that stuff. I like that speculation. Well, you, we were speculating the video game MLB The Show. Are we off that now? The news isn't I breaking on the big video on that. Game. That was yeah, a drab thing. thing. That was drab's no, but baby. There's something to be said for if it's they're possible when they're trailing planes. That doesn't mean he's going to sign here, but it might mean that they're still talking. The no, only also, story I saw yesterday was what Sean Kelly said. Sean Kelly, former relief pitcher for the Nationals, mm-hmm. now with the <clears> Rangers, I guess spoke to Bryce Harper and was asked, "Where do you think Bryce is going to end up?" And he said, "No idea." Talked to him the other day, and he said it's actually slower than you guys think it is. I'm mm. sure Bryce isn't happy with him throwing that out there. That, no. doesn't, that doesn't help your negotiating power. Hey, this would make sense. I mean, to this point in time, the ten-year, three hundred million dollar offer that reportedly the Nationals put out there for Bryce at the end of the season is by far the best offer he has had. 
So why not go back down that road? If nobody else is going to offer you that decade-long contract you're looking for, this makes sense. I think people just assumed that Bryce and the Nats were going to part ways because he was going to get that type of offer somewhere else or something close to it. But if not, and the Nationals would like him back, this would be the oddest, longest, strangest courtship between a team that was going to lose their free agent and then re-sign him. But hey, love is love. Speaking of which, how about Chris Sale, one of the aces for the defending World Series champion, Boston Red Sox. He joined Mutt and Callahan down in Fort Myers as pitchers and catchers have reported for the Sox and around the rest of Major League Baseball for spring training. How does a guy that's been in that spot before feel about the Machado and Harper free agency question that has surrounded Major League Baseball this offseason? I mean, obviously, what's going on around the league is, is tough right now. It's it's different than it used to be. Um, you know, you used to see guys signing, you know, Thanksgiving, uh, right. Christmas, and then, you know, oh, my gosh, you know, this, this is taking forever. It's January 20th, and, you know, this guy still hasn't signed. And now you're starting to see, you know, guys missing time in spring training. And, you know, I don't blame them. You know, they, they've put in the time. They've put in the effort. They, they've built an unbelievable resume. And, uh, you know, they deserve what they earn. Or in, and, you know, it's just, you know, a situation now where it's getting a little rocky in, the, in those areas. Um, I don't have the answers. You know, I don't know if you guys have the answers. Well, it's not, I don't know what the but, answer is, but, Chris, it's not good for the sport. I mean, from your, from your standpoint as a player, you're watching guys who are still waiting for a deal. From a fan standpoint, you know, it's spring training and guys aren't signed yet. That doesn't happen in other sports. It doesn't seem like that's healthy for the sport that, oh, that you play Oh, if I was in. a baseball fan, I, I would be extremely frustrated with this because – you know, you, you let's say the Boston Red Sox. You you want to know if this guy's going to be here. You want to, you want your team to be put together. You know, you want you want to buy your team your team's Christmas gift. You know, jerseys for for Christmas right. gifts. And um, you know, you want to you want to know. You know, okay, this guy's coming to our team. We're going to be a contender. Well, all of a sudden, you you know, you get to spring training. A couple of days into spring training, and you're like, and then you know, your guy goes somewhere else, and you're like, well, what what the heck, you know? So it, it it can be you know I, I can understand the the frustration from obviously the players but um, you know the fans too the the fans want to see their teams and they and and the players on their team and they want to they want to be able to root for them for for a while. Do you feel pressure from other outside forces like union and agents and other you know like the obligation we often hear you got an obligation to the other players coming after you? Does that matter to you or are you only concerned with you know your peace of mind? I would say. First and foremost, I'm, I, you know, I have to worry about what's going on here, you know, with my team, and and even more, I guess more so with myself when it comes to contract negotiations. I guess, um, yeah, and you also want to set a tone. You want to uh, you want to do right by the guys that are you know coming in next year, two years, ten years uh, down the road because you know you you kind of set the bar. And then the next guy that comes in line, you know, he, he either gets to that bar or raises it a little more. Right. And, uh, you know, it's kind of the, 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 the brotherhood of being a Major League Baseball player. But that being said, um, you know, you want to you go to a team that's going to contend. Uh, you want to go to a team that you can trust and you want to play for championships. And, you know, check, check, what, check. What, what is I'm sitting right now. <laughs> what, what does that mean, a team you can trust? Uh, they're just going to do right by you and do right by the players. I think um, if you ask the guys in this organization, and I know there's other organizations out there like right. that, um, 
but you know that you're going to get you know a straight shot here and and that you can you can rely and trust in the people around you and um i've learned that over the last couple of years playing there. I would imagine a lot of the star free agents or star players, especially veterans like Sale around baseball, are very concerned about what has happened this offseason and what happened last offseason. You are talking about 100 free agents, many of which teams are scared off by because of their age being unsigned as spring training opens. If you're Sale or guys like Sale, that is going to put your antenna up in a big way. From the NFL, Odell Beckham no longer a giant. The well-connected football reporter for Fox, Jay Glazer, suggested in his mailbag that Odell Beckham would be dealt this offseason. That means that the Giants would have to take a cap hit and that their star player, one of the best wide receivers in football, would be changing zip codes, changing mailing addresses this offseason. If that were to happen, if Odell was on the shopping block, Should a team like the Cleveland Browns, who have a franchise young quarterback, try to get that franchise young quarterback, a dynamic receiver like Odell? The NFL on CBS voice, Ian Eagle, also one of the voices of Westwood One, joined Bull and Fox on 92.3 The Fan in Cleveland. I would go all in, try to trade for Odell Beckham, and can you imagine if you had Kareem Hunt, and Nick Chubb and Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry with Baker Mayfield, they could they'd be a top five offense in the league potentially. Is that a good idea? If you if they were going to trade Odell, is it a good idea for the Browns to try to go all in and make a trade that of that nature? Yes, hundred uh, percent. Yes, my personal dealings with him, I, I think he is a professional. I think he sees himself on a level that uh, this town recognizes, and that is uh, superstardom, LeBron James being the model. He hasn't had the achievements to back it up, but he sees himself as an entity. And you say, well, can you win with that? Yeah, yeah, you can. In the NFL, you can. If everybody's on the same page, if there's a belief within that locker room and there's a certain attitude, which I think the Browns locker room already has, of you put up, and you'll reap the benefits, but you've got to live up to it. And with the Giants, a little different, more of a conservative organization. I think there was some hesitancy in regards to Odell. And clearly, from a football standpoint, it's just not working right now for him and for Eli Manning and for that offense. If I'm the Browns, you're asking me flat out, would I be interested? 100%. Yes. I think from a personality standpoint, it's been overblown that he would affect your locker room. Uh, I think if you're winning and if he's producing, it's all good. I just wonder why the the Giants would even part with him. They just signed this contract like six months ago, $90 million. Mm -hmm. It just you don't sign a guy to a contract like that to trade him. I I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I could be wrong. And how do you sell that to the fans in New York City? Yeah, I think a lot of it is timing, yeah. uh, Dustin. Just if looking back on when they signed the deal, their hands were tied a bit. True. Uh, they had to make a decision, and I think they had to show their fans that they were serious. They were making one last run with Eli Manning. They made a coaching change. Uh, they felt they made improvements on the offensive line. As we know, uh, that did not pan out that way. They spent a lot of money on the left side. didn't work out. Uh, they felt at the time that this was the right call. Homegrown talent, beloved in New York, 
highlight machine, everything lined up, at least in their eyes, that he was going to continue what he was doing with the Giants. It didn't happen that way. It was an off year on all fronts. And what you're saying is fair of, okay, what's the message to the fans? But only they know the day-to-day intricacies of how this is working or not working behind the scenes. And if they believe it's not working, that it's time that they get him a change of scenery and try to get something back in return when his value is still fairly high and the deal is right, I would not be against making that deal if I were the New York Giants. Yes, major playmaker. You're not going to replace him on that level. But if it's not jiving in the locker room anymore and with front office and with ownership, then the time might be now to to do something a bit risky, which is not something the Giants normally do. Hey, if Odell Beckham is available, you absolutely make the call to the Cleveland Browns. He would totally make that team a contender with all the pieces they already have. And Baker to Odell would be one of the most exciting potential connections in all of the league. However, I don't believe that the Giants are really shopping him. I don't see that as being a realistic possibility. The Giants don't want continued empty seats at MetLife Stadium. They're going to be transitioning either this year or sometime very soon to a rookie young quarterback. So I don't think they're going to take away another potential star piece from a team that is already desperate for wins and desperate for winning seasons. In the NBA, we have hit the all-star break, and the best team in the NBA is once again the Golden State Warriors. And in a loss of the Portland Trailblazers, Steve Kerr went crazy on a flagrant one that was called on Draymond Green. Interesting timing that Kerr would choose the game before the all-star break to melt down and smash his clipboard. Here's Joe Lowe and Dibs on 95-7 the game in San Francisco on why exactly Steve Kerr chose this moment to go crazy. He knows he's heading to San Diego one way or another after the game. He's about to start his vacation. Get early. He could have easily have just relaxed and been like, come on, Kenny. You know it's a bad call, but he decided to get into it with Ken Maurer. Yeah, it, there, there were several, Joe. He said a little bit, even in the first half when they called Durant. Durant had great defense, and he goes straight up, and they call a foul. The series right before that, Steph shoots a three with his left hand and throws it up, and they said he was in the act of passing and don't let him. The very next possession – uh, um, um, Katie's playing great, great defense and um, just outstanding defense, moving his feet, goes straight up. The guy hasn't even shot, hasn't even released the ball yet. And all of a sudden he goes through it and they call foul and he's on the line. Steve Kerr's like, what? You just called it down there. And now you're calling over here though, this way. So it was so much inconsistency. And then they called a technical on, you know, on, on, on Katie, and you start to see it was like Koski saying, it was getting chippy in that game, and it started early. And last night, that you saw at the end of that game in the fourth quarter, that wasn't uh, that wasn't necessarily a flagrant foul. I thought, like Koski said, the game started to get out of hand, but you changed the outcome of that game. They were in it, and all of a sudden, in one, in one possession, Dorn were down by 15. Yeah, from seven to 15. It's great. Eight points in 20 seconds. The very rare eight-point possession. It's over. Eight-point <laughs> possession. It's over. I think it was Nick Friedel who was going around asking, like, if you listen to all the post game, there's a reporter who asked every single guy you ever seen an eight-point possession before, and everyone's like, you know, I don't, I don't think I have. And but, I started thinking, I, I, I've never seen anything like that. How was the malice at the palace? Did they? Didn't they just cancel that game? I, they just I made it. Oh yeah. I think they stopped <laughs> playing. Yeah. Because yeah. you'd have to imagine that would have been quite a few free throws. Yes. 
Although, you know, they don't cancel quote out. me. Right. Don't quote me on yeah, that, that one. Was, uh, that's in this one. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I think Kerr was trying to get the attention of his players. It's always really easy for the Warriors to kind of click out of focus and click out of determination because they're so good, they're so talented. When they click in, they're going to beat everybody. And life is very easy. Life can be very simple for the Warriors. And so I think before a nice long vacation with all these guys heading to Charlotte for the All-Star break or doing their own thing and going to parties and whatnot, Kerr wanted one last kick in the pants, and he got that as an excuse with the flagrant one. But do I think that Kerr was going to use that opportunity to really rail on the refs? No, I think it was to wake these guys up to make sure that as they head into the break, their head is still focused on winning basketball games and doing all of the little things because they are headed for yet another championship as long as they are clear and focused. In Green Bay, there's a brand-new head coach for Aaron Rodgers. And those around the Packers are not completely convinced that the way that the power structure is set up is the right way. Mark Murphy's got the personnel power, and because there is not one singular owner, Murphy has collected a lot of influence within that organization, maybe all the influence one man can really have. Mike Lombardi joined 105.7 The Fan in Milwaukee. Is there a power structure problem in Green Bay? You know, I've studied Packer history, and the president of the Packers has never been on a power trip until Mark Murphy became the president. It's always been seen but never heard. I mean, you can remember the stories of of Coach Lombardi telling the Packer brass to stay out of the way. I'm running the football team, and they listened. And that's no longer the change. And I think this firing of Mike during the season let everybody know that Murphy was in charge, you know, that he's going to run the team. He's going to become the Al Davis of the team because he essentially is the owner of the team. He can do whatever he wants to do. And if there would have been anybody with compassion and understanding of history and what Mike did for the team, you would have waited to the end of the year to fire him and then go a part of it. So for me, I thought it was distasteful. I thought it was a power trip by Murphy. And I think Murphy has been on a power trip since the day he got in there when he splintered the, um, the position of general manager after Ted Thompson left and took the power away. Maybe this sort of ownership thing where there is no true owner and there's a guy in charge, maybe this is a problem because Mark Murphy really, it seems to us like he's got unchecked power. He had, No, it's not unchecked power. He has it all. I mean, look, by the hiring of Matt LaFleur, look, if you want all the power and you want everybody to come towards you, then hire inexperienced people. Don't hire people who are going to challenge your authority or challenge your knowledge. So you hire inexperienced people to run the job. Look, I, I have nothing against Matt LaFleur, and maybe Matt LaFleur will prove me wrong in terms of being coming a head coach, but there's nothing based on the Tennessee Titan tape 
that you watched last year that you thought, wow, that's really creative. That's going to be unique in what they do. And, you know, Matt LaFleur is going to come in and handle this in a way to where you say, ooh, that's impressive. I, I think, you know, what, what often I think is missed in Green Bay, and I think the people of the great state of Wisconsin understand it more than perhaps Mark Murphy does, is there has to be a team that fits in the environment. And I don't see that team. I see a team that went indoors too much. I see a West Coast offense team that was needed perfect conditions and wanted to play in those elements, was one and seven on the road. I thought this team was screaming for toughness. I thought this team was screaming for somebody who had experience, especially in the window of where Aaron Rodgers is in his career, somebody who understood what it takes to build a championship team. Too often we lose sight of what's good. We confuse it for what's great. And I think that that's really the issue we're talking about in Green Bay. And I, I thought that they missed it. Look, the Packers have a tough, unique situation because of the weather, because of where they play. You lose certain amounts of elements in, the, in, in December and January in terms of preparing your team and developing your team. You've got to have a condition to handle that. And I'm not sure that you can do that just by hiring an offensive coach. I'm not sure any offensive coach is always going to be able to do that. Now, look, Mike won a Super Bowl with Brett Favre, and certainly Mike won another Super Bowl with Mike, Mike Holmgren, and then Mike McCarthy won one with Aaron Rodgers. But I think this team was screaming for – a tougher-minded team, and I, and I don't think they address those issues. Look, this is a weird scenario. There is no singular owner. It is a team that is owned by stockholders, which are tons of stockholders in terms of fans and other people around Green Bay and all across the country as well. So there isn't an owner to tell Mark Murphy, hey, man, you cannot do this. There are influential board members, and there are some Significant stockholders that have more voices than others, but is there unchecked power in Green Bay? Perhaps you can blame Murphy for that, and because of that, is it possible that things are not on the straight and narrow trying to win football games the best way possible? I think that's also on the table, and when you have Aaron Rodgers in his prime and you've only been to one Super Bowl, there's going to be a lot of questions about how the business is run. We have spring football. Week two of the Alliance is heading our way this weekend, and it's become quite popular to say that this is the would-be developmental league for the NFL, that the league likes the idea of having the Alliance, the AAF, there to get some scouting, get some game film on coaches and refs and players and all the staffs that you need to make up the National Football League. Steve Smith should one day be in Canton as a Hall of Famer. Now he works for the NFL Network. And he joined the fan in Charlotte with the clubhouse with Kyle Bailey and brought up an interesting point. Do we need developmental leagues for, say, the NFL because college coaches aren't getting it done anymore? Are they no longer actually teaching football but instead teaching scheme. Let's listen in. I hope in this developmental league that these players get an opportunity to be, to be really coached because one of the reasons why a lot of these players are out of the league is because coaches are not teaching these young men in college anymore how to play football. They're teaching them how to run and look successful in a certain scheme. And then when you ask them to be masters of their craft, they don't know how to do that. You're asking them. I mean, I believe school is doing us a disservice right now. As just as a dad speaking, where you don't, they aren't teaching them home economics. 
where you're teaching them how to cook, teaching them how to balance a checkbook, teaching them the basics of football and life. And when you don't do that, you're going to have guys like this who were one at one point parking cars and working at cell phone places and, and working at grocery stores and deciding what they're going to do. And then all of a sudden they're looking for this chance. My thing is make sure they're being coached because if they don't, the I got to do the draft and I got to do the combine. It's interesting. I think it was every year we have a more and more young underclassmen coming out, but not more and more underclassmen are getting drafted. That should tell you something. Yeah. They're, the carrot is dangling of you could go get paid and work in the league, but it's only 53 spots. And so these young kids are getting picked up early, and some of them are not even making it past rookie minicamp. Rookie minicamp now is where they bring all these rookies in to give them opportunity. Man, when I first came out, if you were in a rookie minicamp, you were only there because they really wanted you or they signed you. Now guys are getting a one-day tryout in rookie camp, blowing a hamstring because these kids are not learning the craft of football, learning the craft of this professional sport. Football, to some degree, is a uh, is a blue is a hard hat job mm-hmm. where you got to learn. If you don't learn, you will wash out tomorrow. You will wash out tomorrow. Meaning, some guys are done before they even walk in the door because they don't understand what a slant is or how to be press coverage or even. Learn how to study film because all these people, all these people are telling them, just run a slant. Here's the picture. You know, you watch Oregon and Jim uh, Kelly, and you watch these pitchers, and that picture tells you to run a slant against this defense. They never look at the defense. They're just looking at the sideline. So they're getting fed information, and they don't know how to problem solve. I think that's a really good point brought up. I mean, when you look at offensive coordinators or play calling in the college football ranks and you're seeing just big icons like at Oregon, they're holding up a Google logo or they're holding up a cartoon of a pie. And from that, they're running a general scheme or a general playbook. It does make you wonder, are college coaches actually teaching specifics of football or instead just a fast food scheme to try to win football games. Thus, when you get to the NFL, are a lot of guys slipping through the cracks. I think it's a really good point brought up by Steve Smith, which brings us to the AAF. Do we need the AAF? And can this work if this is the way that it's going to be? The Memphis Express might be the worst team in the AAF, at least through week one. Mike Singletary and Christian Hackenberg both looked like a disaster after getting shut out on the opening weekend. On the Gary Parrish show on ESPN Radio 92.9 in Memphis, they asked the question, if the Express is bad, is Memphis going to care? The AAF this weekend, I mean, it got attention. It drew better than the uh, James Harden versus Russell Westbrook game. Now, mind you, the Memphis team was, was hideous, and the Express was like, well, hideous. And so... I don't know how many people are going to go, and I've always been a little bit skeptical about this league. I sort of feel like Memphis is a little bit minor leagued out. Having said that, because they have a TV contract, because it's football, um, you just don't know. And it sort of felt to me like, like obviously, Penny and the Tigers are the biggest thing in town right now, and every game they play is the biggest thing in town right now. But there is something his, slightly historic about, even if the league's gone next year, I don't think it will be, but even if the league's gone next year, like 
I was glad I was at the FL opener. I w- I the home opener. I remember that game, and I decided, you know what? It's sort of a civic event. I should be at the at the Alliance opener in Memphis. I don't know. What do you think? You've been to enough Memphis games at this point, like Tiger games at this point. Like missing right. one's not a big deal. Um, it'll still get talked about on Monday morning at nine o'clock, regardless of oh, whether. Oh no, it'll be talked about more than the unless of course unless unless twenty five thousand show up Saturday night, it'll be talked about presumably more than the than the, the than the express game. But yeah, it just felt to me like there's 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 something to that event, and I should be at that event. Uh, I will tell you that CBS has like really invested in it and they care deeply about it so much so that usually like i don't want to say usually but lots of times you know just your average cbs sports network college basketball game they're, they're not going to fly cameramen in you know they're going to have they'll hire local you know there's 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 they'll hire local and they'll bring somebody in local and they'll, they'll handle all that stuff my point being you know some of the people we work with here in new york who um do camera work in studio with us like I was just randomly talking to them last night, and um, I was like, "So, what do you got going on this weekend?" And he was like, "I'm going to Memphis, oh. shooting the A uh, Alliance of American Football game down in Memphis." So they're like sending their own people um, oh. to the Liberty Bowl for for this game, which which shows a certain attention to detail, and it's it's undeniable that it is so far at least a success from a television perspective. Um, but I wonder. And this is what I always thought, and I'm, I'd be happy to be proven wrong, but I think it's going to be a terrible ticket from a ticket perspective. But you just put football on television and people will watch it. You know, it doesn't matter whether it's the Pro Bowl or the Birmingham Bowl or anything. People will watch football on television. And I think that whether it's the folks who are going to tie themselves to the XFL when it launches next year or the people who have attached themselves to, to this football league um, – the, the, the thought behind it is, is pretty simple. If we put football on television, people will watch it. And the opening weekend you know, ratings uh, sort of highlighted that. And I do think that's why it, it, it's a viable league going forward. Even if the stands are going to be mostly empty, you're going to have an excess of a million people watching these games. And, you know, that's you can put Duke Louisville on national television playing basketball. And it probably doesn't do what a football game is going to do. Any football game. If the NFL is behind this league, then it's got legs. Because what the NFL sinks its money into, it's going to have a lot of leash to succeed or fail. But you know they're going to have resources behind it. So I think right now it makes a lot of sense for the NFL to want it to succeed on its own and to make this a little bit of a test case. But once they see that it could help out the NFL in this way, developmental, teaching guys football, getting game film and game tape on, practice squad-esque guys or end-of-the-roster guys, oh, yeah, the NFL is then going to get involved. And once they do, that's when the alliance has its break. That's the best in your sports talk for Thursday, February 14th. Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Around the Dial. Subscribe now for the best daily recap in sports talk on Radio.com or the Radio.com app. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.